That rock was Christ. A few years ago, a Jewish man told me that for you Christians, Christ is your Savior. For the Jews, Moses is our Savior. But here, Paul, a Jewish man himself, realized that all along it was Jesus Christ. He connected the act of Moses striking the rock, saying that that rock itself, that rock was Christ. That all along Jesus was there with the children of Israel, that first generation that came out of Egypt. Jesus was there in their midst, ministering to their needs. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Once again, I'm Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Today we're looking at a message that I entitled, That Rock Was Christ from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. In last week's study, Paul urged the church in Corinth to run for the crown. There in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 24 through 27, in this message, I said that God has set a course for each of us to run in this life. And too often, we like to look at other people's courses that God has set before them and desire their ministry, desire their course. Yet God has called each of us to run in this race, every one of us. Although we have different starting points as far as faith is concerned and life is concerned, we are all running toward the same goal, and this goal is Jesus Christ. As Paul closed out chapter 9 in verses 26 and 27, he said, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I had preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Having mentioned disqualification, Paul begins chapter 10 by citing several examples of the first generation of Israel who came out of Egypt. Even though God had given them great advantages through his miraculous works, most of that first generation became disqualified. And I believe that it is good for us to look back to the Bible for examples, also to look back in our own lives for examples of life and faith. For it is by the examples of those who came before us 
that we can avoid certain pitfalls as we navigate this life as followers of Jesus Christ. Today I said that we were going to look at a message called That Rock Was Christ from 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13. I divided it into three sections. Be not unaware, verses 1 through 5. Examples of unbelief, verses 6 through 10. And God is faithful, verses 11 through 13. So I want to go ahead and read our first point, be not unaware, verses 1 through 5. And then I'll open us in prayer and we'll get into a teaching of God's word. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Father, I pray that you would be with us now, Lord, as we look into your word this morning. And Lord, just leading this fellowship at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa into a study in 1 Corinthians here in 2020. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to glean from this epistle things that we can apply to our lives. And I pray, Lord, today that you would do just that. That, Lord, you would, uh, in our lives as a church or as individuals, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts corporately or individually, that we might hear from you this day what the Spirit is saying to the church. To this church, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we begin in verses 1 through 5, be not unaware. And he begins in verses 1 and 2 saying, they were all baptized. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The cloud refers to the Shekinah glory cloud. And although the children of Israel went out of Egypt with boldness, according to Exodus 14.8. Three days later, as they camped beside the Red Sea, they were overtaken by the armies of the Egyptians. And with the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea before them, well, God's Shekinah glory came between Israel and Egypt, giving light to the children of Israel and darkness to the Egyptians. After their deliverance, God's Shekinah glory led them through the wilderness as a cloud by day and a pillar by night. And this took place for 40 years. Paul reminds us that all were under the cloud. But he also said that all passed through the sea. The sea refers to God's parting of the Red Sea to allow Israel to cross over on dry ground. After the Egyptians pursued Israel into the sea, God disabled their 600 chariots and then he allowed the waters to return to their place, and the Egyptians were drowned in the depths of the sea. Exodus 14, 30 and 31 tells us, So the Lord saved Israel that day of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so that the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, Paul tells us all were baptized. 
And so the baptism of Moses, a type of baptism that took place by the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud, also by their passing through the sea. We find in the Bible, I've surveyed through scripture to discover seven different types of baptisms that are spoke of in scripture itself. We have this baptism, the baptism of Moses is found here in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and 2. There's also the baptism of Noah as Peter records in 1 Peter 3 verses 20 and 21. And the baptism of John the Baptist or the baptism of repentance as mentioned in Acts 19:4 and described in the Gospels. There's believers baptism as Jesus mentions in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, 5, the baptism of fire that is spoke of in Matthew 3, verses 11 and 12, and the baptism of Christ that Paul refers to in Romans 6, 3. Maybe some of uh, the latter of these, the believer's baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire, and the baptism of Christ kind of mesh together just slightly. But seven different types of baptisms described for us in Scripture itself. And here we read of one, the baptism of Moses. He goes on to tell us in verses 3 and 4 that they all ate and drank of the same spiritual food. They all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The spiritual food that the children of Israel ate began a month and a half after they departed from Egypt, when they came to the wilderness of Sin, an interesting name for a wilderness, at this time they began to complain against Moses and Aaron, stating that they would have rather died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, where they had meat and bread to the full, than to be killed with hunger there in the wilderness of Sin. Well, upon hearing their complaints, God told Moses that he was going to rain down bread from heaven. Israel was to daily gather this bread, and on the sixth day they were to gather twice as much, for the seventh day would be a day of rest, as we know according to the word of God. And that night God also satisfied their lust for meat by sending quail, so much quail that they had more than they knew what to do with. And in the morning, he began that daily provision of bread, something that would take place for the next 40 years. Exodus 16, 31, it tells us, And the house of Israel called its name manna, for it was like white colorlander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Well, the spiritual drink speaks about a spiritual rock that also resulted from Israel's complaint. Isn't it interesting, as Israel complained, God often met the need, meaning that their need was legitimate. It was legitimate. James tells us that sometimes we have not because we do not ask. And although they asked in a complaining way, God met their need with manna from heaven and with this drink that came from the rock. With the people nearing the point of stoning Moses and Aaron in this situation in Exodus 17, it tells us. Uh, Moses went and he complained to God himself. He said, God, you've placed me in an, an impossible situation. 
And yet God commanded Moses to do a strange thing by striking a rock with the rod of God in order that water might pour forth from the rock. In Exodus 17, 16, it tells us, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that my people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders of Israel. In this, we have a beautiful typology of Jesus Christ. Paul here says, and that rock was Christ, who had been smitten by God in order that, well, for Jesus being smitten by God on the cross in order that the living water of the Holy Spirit might flow forth from his life into our hearts. The Bible tells us as far as the Lord being smitten by God. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And concerning that living water, Jesus said in John 7, verses 37 and 38, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said to the woman at the well, If you drink this water, you will thirst again. But I have water to give to you that you will never thirst. And she said, Lord, give me this water that I'll never have to come back to this well again to draw water and he she misunderstood what Jesus was saying. He was speaking of this living water that has been provided. That rock was Christ. A few years ago, a Jewish man told me that for you Christians, Christ is your Savior. For the Jews, Moses is our Savior. But here, Paul, a Jewish man himself, realized that all along it was Jesus Christ. He connected the act of Moses striking the rock, saying that that rock itself, that rock was Christ. That all along, Jesus was there with the children of Israel. That first generation that came out of Egypt, Jesus was there in their midst, ministering to their needs. But most died in unbelief, verse 5. Most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. For 40 years, every morning, the manna came, and God supplied life-giving water, other miracles when needed. And yet the generation that came out of Egypt did not enter the promised land, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. The author of Hebrews gives us a similar warning, saying in Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11, Today... If you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry at that generation and said to them, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The author of Hebrews tells tells two things about Israel's rebellious ways. First of all, they always went astray in their hearts. And that's a, a pretty key insight right there. 
oftentimes when we go astray, it begins in our heart, in our mind, not in our actions. It begins in the heart. So they always went astray in their hearts. And secondly, they did not know the ways of God. Secondly, they did not know. They were followers of God. They followed him everywhere the Shekinah glory cloud went. They were baptized under the cloud, remember? But they truly didn't understand the ways of God. And I think if we connect these two things, they always went astray in their heart. They did not know the ways of God. By learning the ways of God, by having a greater understanding of God's word, it helps us and keeps us from going astray in our hearts because we have learned the ways of God and we know what the Lord requires of us. From their deliverance, from the land of Egypt to their provision in the wilderness. And they had seen many miraculous works of God. And sadly, the generation that came out of Egypt did not have faith to enter the promised land. As a result, they were destroyed in the wilderness because of unbelief. It was miracle after miracle. While in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness, the children of Israel, though, continually hardened their hearts toward the things of God. And that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in unbelief. As we continue in verses 6 through 10, I'll read for the context. Examples of unbelief. So he continues with more examples. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verses 6 through 10. The examples of unbelief. He gives us five situations here and he ties uh, enough information for us to go back to the Old Testament to discover exactly what Paul was speaking about in each of these situations. They became our examples. These things were to become our examples that we might not lust after evil things as the first generation did that came out of Egypt. The example is actually the mark of a blow. It speaks about an impression that is made. Uh, we would think of a stamp that has been made by a die. And it really speaks about Paul giving examples of not the things that we should do, but the things here that we should not do. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, this takes us back to Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel complaining against Moses and the Lord once again. And although God faithfully had provided for their daily needs, they craved the food of Egypt. The Egyptians had caused them to cry out to the Lord for deliverance, and he delivered them, but they're not yet coming to the promised land. They were weary from their journey. It was their own fault because they refused to enter in the promised land when God brought them to the borders there at Kadesh Barnea. And yet we learn from 
chapter 11, that there were several examples. It's dangerous to heed the cravings of the mixed multitudes or the unbelievers. When Israel went out of Egypt, it tells us that a mixed multitude went out with them, meaning that there were the Jews, but also non-Jewish people that escaped with them. And so it's dangerous for us to heed the cravings of the mixed multitudes. We have been redeemed from the world, and we should no longer desire or lust after the things of the world. Second, when we feel alone or overwhelmed, we must remember just as God provided for our daily needs in times past, so too will he provide for the needs that we have in the present. The children of Israel daily, every day that they went out to collect the manna, it was a testimony of God's provision in their life. And I believe that every day we awake on this earth, it's a testimony of God's grace over our lives as well. Moses cried in Numbers eleven twenty nine, Oh, that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. He made this cry to Joshua when Joshua had complained to Moses about the children of Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, Oh, I wish the spirit of God was upon every one of them. You know what? Through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ today, that has become a reality. And God's Spirit has been given. Remember, Jesus is the one who said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me, and I will give him drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The second example, do not become idolaters as some of them. It takes us to Exodus 32. While Moses was spending 40 glorious days and nights with God, the children of Israel fell into this inglorious rebellion against God. Uh, the children of Israel cried out to Aaron in Exodus 32, 1, Come, make us gods that he should go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron took the gold earrings from their wives, sons, and daughters, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made a molding calf. And then he said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt, Exodus 32, 4. He built an altar, he proclaimed a feast, and on early on the next day they offered burnt and peace offerings upon that altar to their fashioned God. And then the Bible tells us in verse 6, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Thankfully, Moses had interceded in Israel's behalf even before he descended down the mountain with the testimony of God in his hands. Still, when he saw that the people were unrestrained, it's a Hebrew word that means to let loose or to run wild, he took the two uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments and he broke that, those stone tablets. He ground them into powder. He mixed it with water. He forced the children of Israel to drink it. And then he called for those who were on the Lord's side to take up their swords and to kill the rebels. And on that day, the Levites answered the call of Moses, and about 3,000 fell in that one day. For his third example, he brings us to Numbers 25. He said, nor let us commit sexual immorality. This example coming from Numbers 25 was where Balaam plotted against Israel, basically Greedy Balaam 
wanted the wealth that King Balak had offered him if he would just curse Israel. But God would not allow Balaam to curse Israel. And so Balaam told Balak, I am not allowed to curse Israel, but I can tell you a method or a way in which God will bring judgment against his own people. In Numbers 25 verses 1 through 3, it tells us, Now Israel remained at the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit holotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined with Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. In this very dark chapter, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, killed Zimri and Cuzbib, who blazingly flaunted their sin before the children of Israel. Phineas, a man who was very zealous for God on that day, because of his righteous jealousy for God, God rewarded him with a covenant of peace as seen through God's promise of an everlasting priesthood for Phineas and his descendants. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.